When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Yaku Yohan, and this is Rock and Roll. So hello and welcome to another episode of Rock and Roll. Another busy week. We finally got the first test out of the way. We'll be getting to that in a bit. You're coming quickly to the end of your, your isolation period. Yes, I have four and a half hours left to isolation. I'm free man no, tomorrow. No to um, counting or anything. Not that I'm counting, no, not at all. <laughs> but apart from that, I'm all good, Matthew. You? Yeah, it's not too bad. It's, uh, I've had a surprisingly quiet week. I've had an especially quiet weekend. So since we did the last podcast... That's all I've done is watch rugby and sleep. It's the first time I've done it in weeks, and I'm absolutely fucking delighted. Except nice. I tell her I did go to the gym earlier. But other than that, that was for me. So, another person joining us, as always. So, our guest is the perfect guest for this week's show. Not only because he's done photo shoots with Sail Sharks, which means he knows at least 75% of all South African rugby players, I think. But also because I know he's got quite a few opinions on a few things that have come up. So Andy Barnum is here with us. How are you doing, Andy? I'm very well, thanks. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. How's your week been? Well, it's only Monday, but it's yeah, it's going okay, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so Andy, for those that don't know, I'm going to do a quick other thing. So uh, photographer uh, by by trade. Photographer by trade. Uh, and did quite a big project and an ongoing project called Portraits of Pride. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. So portrait photographer by trade, uh, specializing in portraits, obviously. Um, and a couple of years ago, I was approached by a friend of mine to see if I wanted, if you, if I wanted to be involved in a, at the time, new uh, gay and inclusive team, which is local to me. Um, I said no because I'm not confident in coaching despite having played for a very long time because I'm just out of date because it's been a while. Yeah. Um, but I thought I'd love to be able to help them and document their inaugural season by taking portraits. And my hope was to show the benefits of sport and team sport and, and obviously in this instance rugby 
in terms of did they get more confident, did they get fitter, and were they just more positive people um, through enjoying the, the benefits of sport? Um, and through that, I reached out. I was sorry, I was put in contact with the Manchester British Spartans, who are the UK's second oldest gay and inclusive team, um, and they approached me to photograph the, their their members for their twentieth anniversary, which also involved photographing their local Premiership team, the Sale Sharks. Um, and those images were then printed, autographed, and uh, auctioned to raise funds for the team. Uh, the project then, I then went, what happens now? It, it, it was just such a great, great idea of photographing and promoting gay rugby, because I'd, I'd personally never heard of it. Uh, and also only have gay friends who'd never heard of gay rugby. Um, I thought, look, let's, let's expand the project. Let's keep it going. Um, let's photograph other gay and inclusive teams. Um, and the aim to encourage players to, to lace up their boots. Um, and also, as I said, just enjoy the benefits of sport. Um, there was a statistic I heard the other day that about almost 60% of, of gay guys when they were younger avoided sport and PT because of the bullying aspect, because they felt uncomfortable, because they felt embarrassed. And I, I just think that's terrible. I think everyone should enjoy sport. Everyone should benefit from it. Agreed. And I, it's a project that we've talked about. I absolutely love it. I think it's superb. It's absolutely great. And I know we've had a, a few difficulties with COVID kicking in and the limit is the travel that you've you've had and then sort of getting in contact with clubs and things. So hopefully we'll see that thriving again. And, and when we get back in touch uh, a little bit down the line, we'll, we'll get that uh, positive vibe that things are picking back up again. But happy to have you here for now. I will dive on a bit. It's, honestly, anyone who hasn't seen it, I'll put a link into the podcast because I absolutely love it. I think it's great. So, should we dive into a little bit of news from this week to start off? So, carrying on from the news we had last week of uh, Cockrell's imminent, uh, oh, not imminent, sudden departure from Edinburgh, we've got a coach that was absolutely no surprise to replace him in Mike Blake. How, how, how do we feel, Paul? Shocked? Shocked. Um, flabbergasted. Didn't expect it to be him. Thought it would be anyone else. Thought, thought it would be more chance of being Jake White than he was Mike Blair. Um, no, in all seriousness, there was, it was a case of when I read the, um, the article to confirm he had been given the job, it sounded as though he'd been told he was having the job. So it was a case of like, Mike Blair has now been named the head coach of, or director of rugby, whatever it was in Edinburgh by the um, SIU. It wasn't a case of like, he's applied for, they've asked. It's a case of, he's got it. So whether he wanted to have it or not, I don't know, but he's going to be the new coach. I think it's, it's expected. Like he was definitely the name we said would probably be favourite last week. Um, but yeah, good luck to him. He's probably, like, like we said, he's, he's in that position where a coaching position has now um, become available where he, for a head coach and obviously it gives him the chance of moving up. So be good to see. Yeah, I think it was always going to be the case. We thought that it was going to be in-house, that it was going to be someone the SIU knew quite well. It was obviously going to be a case they were going to go out and splash masses of cash. I mean, they haven't done how to keep the players that they need. Uh, Andy, perhaps you could have cut your teeth in the coach. You said it's been a little while. You could have got, gone up to Edinburgh at the end of the job. Uh, I am actually part Scottish. Um, there we go. <laughs> not that you can tell by my accent, um, but I, I think he's probably the best man for the job, isn't he? As you said, he's he's come from the SIU. He, he's a local lad. SIU based in Edinburgh. The, 
this Edinburgh team. Um, I kind of feel sorry for, for, for Cockers. I think he's a fantastic coach. Um, I'm sure, I hope he'll bounce back. I mean, he's got such a, a huge amount of experience. It'd be a shame for him to, to not stay in the game. Yeah, I wonder if it could work out quite well for Cockers, to be honest. Like, he's had two jobs on the bounce now with a feeling has slightly soured towards his, the way that he approaches everything. I think that big bang when he first comes in works really well, where he drags players up to the level that he wants them at. He's obviously, he's a very intense guy. Like we know that from when he was playing. It's quite clear to see any time people speak to him. Perhaps maybe after these two jobs, he can realize maybe he needs to take that edge down a little bit as time goes on. I think that we all develop as people, as players and as coaches, coaches as time goes on. Hopefully, it's a little bit of a thing for him because you, you feel like he is a, a top quality coach. Like he's got the best out of the teams. We've seen when he left Leicester imploded. Edinburgh weren't doing much before he went there. So maybe they say if he can learn a little bit, just to temper that edge after a little while, perhaps it could work out for the best for him. Well, the, the bit that I picked up on just before we came on the pod was the fact that there's chat that he might be going to Worcester, which is a bit strange considering Duhan and Sutherland have just gone there. <laughs> so I, they... wonder if, I wonder if that's just gossip or if there's actually something in that. Maybe he did those deals knowing full well he was going there. Just sell sell your best asset. If it turns out the mission signed a contract last year to, to go to Worcester next year, <laughs> it's all going to look a little bit dodgy. When I say Leicester were in a pretty tough spot when he left, I think Aaron Major started and then left midway through the season. Um, obviously, he, he did give Edinburgh a bit of backbone still when he first went up there. And you'll point that. He gave them straight impact straight away, which is fantastic. And hopefully they'll, they'll be able to carry that on. Yeah, the, the news is that he's, he's at Worcester. I mean, I'm fairly sure he's, he cut his coaching teeth in France. So yeah. you might think that there's potential there should they want him. I could definitely see him fitting in in France as well. Like, mm. maybe maybe he's got he's the old attitude of D2 is the trouble. Like, this the mad forward, this mad bulldocker running around looking like he's going to kill someone is the perfect metaphor for, for D2 rugby. But uh, yeah, we'll see. Maybe he'll, uh, maybe he'll turn up at England. Uh, new vacancy opening up there. This is how rumours start. <laughs> no, well, I'd love to start a rumour. That's fine. Uh, so yeah, John Mitchell has gone this week. I mean, Eddie's seemingly gone through more coaches than National Express at this rate. He's He's turning over coaches like you wouldn't believe. But do you think there's an issue there? I mean, he gives off the air of a man who, who's not easy to work with. Again, similar to, to Cockrell with that intensity, that winning mentality. Is it an issue or do you think it's just a, the natural progression of things? What do you reckon, Andy? Ooh, throw me straight in the deep end, why don't you? <laughs> Wow. Well, um, you've claimed your Scottishness, now it's time to put your English side to the test. Okay, I'll, I'll first one out there, first of all. So, and in relation to the Neil Francis thing, we'll get into a second. So, I'm, I'm English and Chinese, but my English heritage also has a certain amount of Scottish and Irish to it. <laughs> um, and my mother was brought up in what was French Indochina. So, I've kind of got a plethora to choose from. <laughs> But my, my allegiances lie with the, the Red Rose, so let, let's keep it simple for that. I, I'm very critical of Eddie. Uh, I definitely think Eddie has an impact. And if you look at his coaching career, he's got a great impact for a couple of years. Um, and that seems to go sour. Um, I don't know if that's a cycle where he goes sour, then he picks up again. 
but as you say, he's a very hard taskmaster. Um, so Borthwick, um, Paul Gustard, uh, and now um, John John Mitchell have all been and gone. I mean, John Mitchell's also had an equally turbulent career. He seems to have done <laughs> fantastically at some places, not at all at others. Um, it'll be interesting to see if he decides he wants to move from South Africa. Obviously, he's been there for a while. He refused to move when he was at America with the USA Eagles. He refused to move again when he was named defence coach with, with England. Um, be, I'm sure he'll probably stick to his guns and stay in South Africa, despite his role with, with Wasps. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think it's a surprise that Eddie gets through coaches as quickly as he injures England players. <laughs> See, John Mitchell in the judo sessions. Mm. Uh, what about you, Will? What's your feelings around the uh, the merry-go-round that is England coaches? Is, is Eddie looking to get different opinions and different ideas and stuff there? I think, like with the in the summer, obviously he had the guys that I think were at Jersey helping him for the for the games in the summer. Um, maybe similar, probably similar to what Andy's alluding to. Maybe Eddie's the issue, and it's not the other people around him. Um, like you know, I've been quite vocal with, with what I think in some of the choices he makes with his team selections and stuff like that. And I just think he's just got a bit stale, isn't he? I think he's he's he tries to do things in the media to try and keep things sort of centered around him. It's all he wants to sort of discuss him and and, and so on. A bit like Gats did with Wales when we first started, throwing grenades out there to see if obviously people people pick on it. But um, in regards to the coaching staff itself. It'd be interesting to see now who goes in there. Um, because I think Mitchell was defence, is that right? Yeah, he was. In England. But he's going to be attack coach at Wasp. So it'd be interesting to see what candidate goes into a place Mitchell um, in that defence role for England. Because a lot of the, I would say, probably more qualified defence coaches that are in and around the English game are probably going to stay at clubs. Um the obvious one would have been someone like Gaston, but obviously Gaston's now with Italy. Um, I think. Um, is it Benetton, I think. Isn't Benetton, it? yeah, that's right. Um, so, yeah, it'd be interesting to see who goes in with Eddie and, and whether people want to work with Eddie because if they can see from the outside the merry ground that he's got, maybe they think that he's the issue as well. Well, it's one of those interesting ones because all three of us have talked about this sort of Eddie and this change and the success dropping off and him stop. I mean, it's not that long ago they were in a, in a World Cup final. They didn't didn't do too badly in 2020. 2021 has been a particularly difficult year for them, but it's not too long ago that they, they were still a very good team. So I think we can't, maybe I think it's easy with Eddie because he's very easy to dislike. He's very open. He's very in your face. He's quite a uh, a outspoken character, shall we say, and he's not afraid of upsetting people. And so I think it's a bit easy for people to to feel aggrieved at him. And I say people, I also mean me, because I often feel that way about Eddie Jones. I'm far from his biggest fan. So, yeah, it's a, it's a strange over there, because you always feel like that, but he, he sort of turned it round in the past as well. He's also fallen on his face a few times, so it will be interesting to see how, how he turns it back round and, and what he does. And coming back to this, obviously, we're going to talk about Gats a bit later. Who's a hooker? We talked about Cockers, who is a hooker. Eddie Jones was a hooker. <laughs> I mean, there's a trend here. Um, <laughs> I'm picking up on, on Ryan's point. Yeah, he does throw hand grenades. Um, I kind of feel like he does that deliberately to keep the focus on himself. 
yeah. rather than players. So I, I definitely appreciate that protective cover he runs. Um, and I've completely forgot my point, so let's move on. <laughs> That's completely fine. But yeah, I, I agree. But And then I do wonder if sometimes though he shines a little bit of light because like, I've said this for, for a while that sort of this England team is quite a likeable team of players, but one or two players, they're quite a likeable team. I'm not going to mention the players' names, Courtney Laws. Um, <laughs> but I think sometimes like people judge that based on Eddie and the media and they become disliked because of things that are out of their control. So Remembered it, if I can jump in. Um, yeah. I remember reading anecdotally, uh, there was a friendly to Eddie journalist who he talked to at the start of his England tenure. And Eddie basically mapped out what he thought would happen in terms of public perception in the media until the World Cup. Given yeah. he's, So he's very aware of his Eddie spike. He went, then when it's going to go downhill, our performance will go down and we'll pick up in time. So he's obviously an astute coach, or he wouldn't be where he is. Um, so I'll come back to the point that if he knows what his cycle is, then hopefully he can see and predict that and um, he'll come up again for England. And he does seem to, to peak around those World Cups. You, you can't argue that... He's had successful World Cups, not just with England now, but you know where he's going at the times when he's needed. Generally, they, they've come good at those right times, so he's doing something right, despite all the. And I, I take pot shots with him all the time, but he's doing something right. You've got to give him that. I, I, this is going to be bad because I'm going to I'm praising Eddie and I'm going to end up praising Courtney Laws later as well. I'm not a big fan of this. Um, <laughs> a bit of sad news uh, from from Wales as well that came out. I think it was yesterday. Uh, with Swansea women saying that they folding uh, with immediate effect. Um, obviously, a big name in Welsh rugby historically, Swansea. So it's a, a, a bit sad to see, especially at a time where you feel like the women's game. Like we, we keep trying to highlight things with it and, and saying that it it needs a little bit of a, a hand up and, and you know to be given a bit more financially and in terms of spotlight. So this is a, a bad timing. Uh, yeah, what's what's your view on it, Wall? Yeah, it's not it's not ideal at all, is it? Like you said, Swansea being one of the, the bigger names of, of Welsh rugby throughout the years. Um, obviously, a lot of Swansea players have links as well with like the university at Swansea, where they've obviously all played together in clubs. Some of them still coach there. I think So Lady Crap is actually the head the DOR there as well at Swansea Uni. Um, it's a shame to see. Um, we we've mentioned before how we think maybe a, a Welsh side, whether it's a, some kind of region needs to potentially play in the, in the 15s. Um, because obviously a lot of the, the Welsh players pretty much play for Saris. There's a few at Saris. There's the majority of them are at Bristol. Tons of Bristol. Yeah. Um, so it, it might make sense to maybe look at that um, under the WIU. But I think ultimately, because there's not enough support in the women's game in Wales from the top, that's what's allowed that to happen with Swansea. Um, so although Swansea have taken a load of stick for it, I think they've actually had no support for it either. And when you think the, the rugby club itself is trying to support the men's and women's when it's not professional, um, without any real support from the from the region as well, I suppose, as well as as well as the union, um, it's going to be diff- difficult to stay there. Well, I know I tell you off for this every week and say it's an audio podcast, but big fucking head nods from me as you as you were talking. Because, yeah, especially for the... I, I get that it's difficult for the regions as well at the moment because, obviously, they didn't know what, what was happening with their funding over the past year. Everything's been up in the air. But there's definitely not enough support 
come in the women's way. But there's not enough support in the grassroots game. There's not enough support in the regional game. But my God, for the women's game, it's worse at the moment. We need to do something. And yeah, we've got internationals playing in the English Premiership, playing for, but we need to do something more as well. We can't keep relying on English clubs and farming out players there in the hope that they come up to the level that we've got to support the game. We need to be supporting the game ourselves. I, mean, I, I genuinely believe that if we put things into it, the WIU will get things back out. I don't think it's pouring money into a, into a bottomless hole. You know, it, it, it's a case of if you can bring that game up, people are interested in it. People do want to watch it. And we've got a whole generation of young girls who are turning up to play. They've set up these um, uh, hubs, the, the, the girls' hubs for, for young girls playing in Wales. But then we need to give them something that they can achieve, someone they can look at and try to be. And I think that that's what, what we're missing at the moment. Something needs to be done. And this is this is a massive knock for me, for, for women's rugby. Yeah, what summed it up for me as well was I was reading a tweet um, yesterday from um, the former Welsh player, Dudley Howell. Um, and she said, three years ago, you had to play in Wales to get selected for Wales, which meant I missed out, unfortunately. Although for some reason, this rule didn't apply to all. Now you have to play across the border for Welsh selection. WYU, what exactly do you want from us? Um, she obviously doesn't play anymore. She's a, she's a lecturer at Cardiff Met, I know that. But um, she obviously, somebody like that, you want to keep in the game as well. So you want to try and tap into people like her, like we said, Rachel Taylor before. Um, any ex, any ex players that Wales have had, you know, even whether male or female, to help with that with that female with that women's game, because. That's a really interesting point as well that she's made there because obviously we've still got our 60 capital in Wales. So yeah. if you're a male player, you can't play for your country if you're playing outside Wales. Yet, if you're a female player, there's absolutely no opportunity for you to play at a professional level. Yeah. So, so I mean, that, that shows the massive discrepancy between the two uh, and the way they're treated with the WIU. Great. Uh Andy, is it, did you want to add anything onto there? Or? I'm keeping quiet, man, because I don't know enough of Welsh rugby, um, and I'll admit my ignorance, um, and also of um, Welsh female rugby in particular, and, and, and what you guys have just been talking about. Um, I do agree that it's important for players to play in their country. Um, we're going to be talking about role models in a second and various guises, um, and for, for Welsh women to, to be those role models in Wales. Um, I think it's fantastic. There is a professional league in, in England. Um, however, as you say, it's it, it, people need their local heroes. So uh, anything that we can do to support, then I'm all for that. Agreed. So moving on from shit news to some two pieces of, for me, absolutely fucking horrific news. Um, so... Today we've learned that uh, All Blacks International Shannon Frizzell has been charged with um, assault on a woman in a nightclub happened back in May this year. Um, obviously, the other side, or the, what adds further to this, is that he's been called into the All Black squad after these initial uh, investigations started with the All Blacks knowing full well that they were in place. I know the Islanders pulled him out of a game um, just after somebody's played games for the Islanders since as well. Um, I'll throw over to, to Andy because I know as well you've been doing a, a, a little bit on this today. Um, yeah, I just, 
trying to figure out where to start on this one. I mean, firstly, it's it's terrible news. Um, the fact that he has been given an international career following the fact is is shocking, I think. Um, we just touched upon the importance of, of local role models in terms of the Welsh um, female game. And the the signal this sends to New Zealanders, to, to Islanders, that you can you can do this and you will it it won't impact your career, which I think is is, is fairly shocking. Um, consequences should have actions. Um, and again, this is just a, a feeling, so I, I can't back it up. I do get the impression that there's a lot of leniency towards rugby players and especially All Blacks and former All Blacks when it comes to yeah. um, judicial and legal matters in, in New Zealand, which I think is probably unfair. Um, and we will probably touch about it on it in, in, in a second when we also talk about the second player we're talking about. It's just the statistics in New Zealand when it comes to domestic violence or violence against women is, is, is shocking. So the fact that he's he's been given such treatment and an international boost, I think, is is crazy. Yeah, I agree. I, obviously, he's been charged at the moment. There's not been uh, the case yet to, to see whether it's a guilty or a not guilty verdict. But as you said, we talk about second players playing at the moment alongside Sevo Reese, who has got the domestic abuse, um, a, a previous case with, with domestic abuse. So considering the All Blacks already have this no dickheads policy, they're uh, seemingly uh, definitely one, possibly two dickheads above their quota at the moment. Oh, I completely agree. I mean, I think it was Graham Henry who introduced better people become better All Blacks. Um, and if we look at what happened to Aaron Smith a couple of years ago, when he was caught in the in his tryst at the airport, um, but I, if I'm not mistaken, I believe he was actually kicked out of the squad by senior players um, who made the decision. Um, in this instance, it definitely seems like it was, it was Ian Foster that made a decision to to promote him to the All Black squad. Um, and while we're talking about Sovi Reese, um, it's interesting looking at Steve Hansen's um, comments that he viewed Reese's inclusion in the All Blacks um, as part of rehabilitation. Um, I'm not, while an international career is certainly the ultimate rehabilitation, and I'm all for that, in terms of trying to educate people, I'm not sure, again, that seems the right signal, that you can get away with such matters. And I believe all charges were dropped due to mitigating circumstances, as the judge called it. Yeah. Um, and the signals that that just sends to to a local community and another and other people in New Zealand. Yeah, and I think as well, it's not just... Because obviously the rehabilitation that I say, like people... Oh, don't call it a mistake, because it's not a mistake. It's a, it's a fucking heinous act. But people people do say, yeah, can be given the chance to change and become better people and rebuild their life. The big one for me with the several recent is he's never really shown anything close to remorse or regret or certainly never, never spoke publicly in that way. He's never done anything for me. And I'm sure Andy, you'll agree based on, on the project you've done, like the power of rugby to change people's mentality towards it. I think it's, it's a big thing Like you've got your, your project to work on inclusivity so that the old blacks, I think, could send out a message on this, whether it be him not playing while we're waiting for this to happen, whether it then be sending out the message. You said about the, the statistics for sort of domestic abuse cases. Like the All Blacks have got the opportunity 
to do something about this and send out a message that this isn't acceptable. That these players are in the spotlight; they're idols to people. By just pretending this thing is, I think was it Steve Hansen that said he, he doesn't believe this is a rugby matter. No, he said it wasn't a gender thing. Basically, suggesting that from his twenty years' experience as a policeman, there was also abuse from women to their male partners. Um, in particular, in an association with the, the, the recent since, um, the the statistics I found were from twenty sixteen, so they're slightly old. But it was basically saying that eighty nine percent of protection orders were by women, and between two thousand nine and two thousand fifteen, cases which had or resulted in partner deaths, 98% of deaths were women. So I think Steve Hansen is, is remarkably wrong on this issue. Yeah. Um, and yet he remains a, a person of significance and influence within within NZ Rugby. Um, and you're right, it, it is a heinous act. There should be consequences. Um, while I'm all up for rehabilitation, there are things that could be done and there are messages the All Blacks could send out that um, could help educate others. Yeah, and I, I think that's the, the massive thing. It is a, a big, uh, significant thing that the All Blacks can do here to send out a message at the moment. They, they, they're not doing that. Sweeping out dressing rooms and passing each other luggage during COVID is while we all do the fucking hashtag rugby values. Like, again, this is another one where the mask slips and we see the reality underneath and no one's willing to do anything about it. Sorry, well, I feel like I've, I've cut you out of the conversation a little bit here, Wal, so... Uh, do, you to, do you want to jump in? No, I'm 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 listening because everything you're both saying, I'm fully in agreement with. So I'm 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 not doing verbal nods, but I'm doing visual nods because yeah. I've got everything that you're both saying. I'm fully fully you're fully on board with. It's it's just heinous, isn't it? It's it's a it's a terrible situation to be in. Um, it's an it, the both Reese and Frizzell, like I know we get to it at the end, but one of one of my wankers of the week will will be the All Blacks because and NZ Rugby because the way that they allowed that to allowed him to be in a position where he can play rugby after this has obviously come come to light is just isn't obviously not as bad as the crime for me but it's 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 terrible to think that they would they have gone well until we know what's going to happen carry on playing then in the yeah, case, it, it's just like and I know I know we we live in a world where it should where some sometimes it's a case of innocent until proven guilty and sometimes people are guilty until proven innocent and vice versa but if you've got a crime like that that's been committed he shouldn't be allowed to be in that position to play games until, in, until obviously he's all worked out. Like similarly in a different sport, and obviously we know with the whole Ryan Giggs situation. I think, although it's a just the terrible thing what he's done, as well, the, the Welsh Football Association went, "You're not in charge until we know what's happening." So he's been fully taken out, and that's what something. That's what some. That's what the, like, um, the Zealand Rugby Union should have done. The All Blacks should have looked at as well, because it's not right for him to be out there promoting playing games and then effectively promoting that what he says okay I, I think that's the, it's the, it's the blind eye turned yeah. towards it to just pretend like nothing's happening when you've got a chance to stand up and make that statement you know say that he's, he's not going to be called this well I know that that as I say there's there's no court case there's no verdict on, on what he's done yet but you can still stand up and condemn even yeah. if you're not condemning him to condemn the situation to contend, condemn violence towards women to condemn domestic abuse you know right. okay you don't have to throw the player under the bus until that verdict comes out but there's an opportunity to send a message and they've done yeah. the exact opposite yeah at the risk of sprouting social media um cliches and banalities it does feel like the there's a certain amount of virtue signaling 
yeah. in terms of you said the the sweeping out of the um, changing rooms um, and being good people. Um, I'm not defending this at all. I, I, I do believe that, that obviously the All Blacks are are ruthless. They are a ruthless organisation in so far that their their player selection they'll happily pick and drop anyone in order to win, and their win rate is incredible, and hence the the culture and, and ethos that that black jersey brings yeah. and ultimately it is personally i think it, it's it's a financial issue covid has, has hit a lot of people and especially new zealand which is is locked down tremendously um i feel it might it's obviously a speculation that they have picked their supposedly best performers and best players in order to win um so yeah to me it does feel like they're virtually on one hand but there is a financial consideration that they, which means that they are putting that ahead of morality. Um, and actually, uh, right now, when people are suffering with COVID, I think if they expressed their remorse and morality and, and showed more leadership, that would be more impressive yeah, when the chips absolutely. are down. Absolutely. And they, they were the ones as well who made a big thing of this sort of what's been dubbed the, the no dickheads policy. But again, it, it doesn't seem like they're living by that. I, I've got a big issue with the, the virtual signaling in rugby. I mean, I'm not the only one. This sort of hashtag rugby values that we see bounded about everywhere, that it doesn't actually live up to that. It's just fucking words and veneer. It's about time someone dug a little bit deeper and fucking show that the rugby values are actually there. They actually can be decent people. But, uh, and then if there's a grey area on guilt for... Shannon Frizzell. There's no grey area with Neil Francis, because I'm sure we've all heard the recording by now. Um, I, I mean, there's no other way of saying it. People can can, can try to phrase how they want to escape on the issue. It's a racial slur towards Marcus Smith. Um, Andy, I know there's something that obviously you're, you're very passionate about for obvious reasons, and I think you're the best person for us to, to throw over to first. Yeah. Oh, cracking. Okay. Um, <laughs> Get yourself comfortable. <laughs> um, yes, I've heard it. Yes, I disagree with it. Um, personally, I just think it's funny. I think it's funny because it's just so idiotic and it's so blatantly wrong. If that's the best insult and slay you can come up with, like, come on, mate. I mean, I've been called much, much worse, but that I'm not in a position of influence. I don't have a massive microphone. Um, and we're talking about consequences and being role models. And my word, for what a person to pick on. Right now, Marcus Smith is the hot ticket, quite frankly. And to pick on him and basically, yeah, racially insult him is just, is, is frankly, it's ludicrous. It's absolutely ludicrous. I alluded to it. I mean, for the, the the comment was uh, a player with a Gavin N snake and an umbrella baton, and then people say, uh, obviously, Marcus Smith uh, was born in the Philippines. His mother is Filipina. Um, the problem with it with Neil Francis as well. I think there's certain people who, if they had said it unknowingly, perhaps not realizing uh, Marcus Smith's race and his ancestry, then maybe you would go, okay. It's a bit of a slipper, you know, it, it's a mistake that he's made. It's a fucking idiotic mistake, but it's a mistake. 
he's not realised. The problem I've got with Neil Francis is it's not the first time he's come up with something that's racial. It's not the first time he's come up with something. He's, he's made comments about uh, gay people in rugby in the past. It's not just a, sorry, I didn't realise his race. I thought it was, like, it's bigotry. Like, no doubt about it. It's bigotry. As well, I don't think you can hide behind the I didn't know when your job is to know fucking rugby. And he is, as he said at the moment, the biggest star in the game. He's a guy in his early 20s who's pulling the game apart. He's He's been absolutely superb. If you didn't know, do your fucking research. It's almost just as racist to not know as well and just to assume that he's a white guy because he's playing for England. Like, because I, I think that's the, the other leap is that, well, just because he's, like, they, there's so many things to unpack. I mean, if you look at Marcus Smith's recent timeline, it's ridiculous. Semi-final against Bristol where they came back against the biggest points deficit. A week later, the next biggest points deficit in the final. Called up for England a week later. Second cap a week later, he's, he's pulled off early because he got called up to Lions, who he plays a week afterwards. I mean, you kind of joke that the next step is he's going to be Prime Minister. Um, <laughs> I'll take him over Boris. <laughs> we're going to go past that. Otherwise, that's a big <laughs> hole. <laughs> You're not going to go down. Um, I mean, but let's be let's be honest. As you say, he, he's Neil France is a professional. He should know these things. Yeah. And let's also let's be honest. Honest, Marcus Smith is clearly not a white guy. Yeah. I am clearly not a white guy. But equally, I'm clearly relatively racially ambiguous. I'm not that dark. Um, I'm basically the same skin tone as Marcus. Unfortunately, he's far better looking than I am with a great head of hair and I'm just incredibly jealous um, <laughs> in addition to his goose step. Um, but you're right, it, it's, it's ignorance. It's, it, but it's ridiculous. It's just absolutely ridiculous. As a, as a professional seasoned pundit, your job is to know these things um, and to, to call someone an implementer tan, kind of going, look, you, you need to go to Specsavers, mate. I, I, what was the, the thing that you replied to me on? Uh, if he's going to insult him, at least could he get the colour right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's not the colour an umbalumba is anyway, I think was what you said to me. Um, but yeah, I mean, they said the problem with Neil Francis as well is that he's already proven in the past to be a bit of an all-round shitbag anyway. So I don't think there's any anything to hide behind, any, any way to take cover. The problem I've also got with it is he wasn't the only one on that podcast. He wasn't the only person recording and nobody stood up and challenged. Okay, I get that maybe it can be a difficult ground to challenge. You would be a little bit different if someone stepped up to the line. You are more than happy to call people up, but generally the people that we have on that we talk to are people that we're friends with and it's a little bit easier to call people out. Even worse than no one calling him out, nobody fucking edited it out. Like, that's gone through the people in the room with him who's all thought that's okay. Then it's gone through the production process and no one's gone, hang on a minute, this this what he's come out with you. Should we be looking at that? And no one's had a word with him at that point either. I need to just I need to just jump in and, and change the facts on that one. It was edited, but it was edited after, after, after it, the fact. After, yeah, yeah, after it had gone out to then take it out so no one else yeah. could hear it anymore. It, yeah, it was edited after people had already brought up that there was an issue. Yeah, which, which isn't edited. That's just trying to cover up your fucking mistake. Yeah, which makes you trying to change the past, which makes the whole thing even worse than what it actually is in the first place. Yeah, like it's, it's terrible. Like, like, 
I'll be honest, I, I'm quite new to obviously, and you know, like I'm quite new to all the whole rugby Twitter world and stuff. And I'm still getting, there's people that are apparently massive bellends in, in rugby Twitter that I still haven't had any dealings with, which is, which is a good thing. And I hadn't actually come across him until obviously the clip was, was shared the other day. Um, and then when you go back and listen and look at some of the stuff he said in the past, like <laughs> this, it's a, it's a big, this is a big fish because what he said, what, what he said is disgusting and he should not be, be said at all. But in a massive pond that's got loads of other big fishes that he said, like the, the points he's made on other on other issues are disgusting just as much as this. And that's been completely overlooked. The one one thing I will say is maybe not as many as I thought, but a lot of Irish rugby players or former Irish rugby players have since come out since he's been sacked and have raised things like about time. <laughs> Like this should have happened years ago. Thankfully, someone's highlighted this, etc. I know Bundyaki put something out there. I think Finley Beanham put something out there as well. So obviously, it's been it's been there, but it's just a shock that obviously something hasn't been picked up in, in before to say, look, that's that's wrong. You shouldn't be saying this. And and the other thing for me, which was which was shitty at the weekend, was that his apology isn't an apology. No. So he, I was going to so, say what apology? Yeah. So he's basically turned around and said that. He's, he's apologised that you're offended. Yeah, but he hasn't apologised for what he said, and he hasn't apologised for being racist. Like <clears throat> one tweet I, I saw the other day, which it sort of it makes sense to me, and it's also something I, I wouldn't necessarily fully agree with, but I get their point. They said if that if the, if the words he said were said in a jokey context by somebody like Joe Marler, Danny Kay about him, because they're winding him up in the sense of what they would normally do as their mate. And they just they're saying those comments in the sense of like because he because he tans etc. Like what what happened with Henson, you can see how sometimes things like that might be accepted. However, it's been said by somebody who doesn't know Marcus Smith and has been said completely in a racial context. And either way, I, I think that's something that Ashton Hewitt's talked quite extensively about. Where yeah. people would make jokes based on his race to him, and because they were friends, he'd sort of give them a free pass and say yeah. it was a joke. And then he realised that the the way the difficulty then lies is people who are not friends make those jokes and suddenly it's not one. funny. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think it, it becomes sort of unacceptable. It becomes unacceptable. I'm just trying to go it, it I, I, no, that's, well, that's what I'm saying. Either, either way, whether it was someone like Joe Marlowe or whether it's someone like Neil Francis that says it, either way it's racist. But it's... Although, I'm not sure we're using Joe Marler as the best example either. We're <laughs> talking someone with other previous. <laughs> Maybe no, but I just meant that more of a like a, more of like a friend, a Quinn's teammate, etc. You don't know what goes on in their in their conversations and stuff. In fact, frankly, um, frankly, I don't want to know either. But um, the like, I, I get that the tweet did was just some someone random. So I, I get what they were trying to say, but what they were trying to say doesn't really matter because either way, the comments that were made are racist and should never have been said. Well, you say as well about. Uh, Former Irish players who came out on 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 Twitter and talked about it. One of those was Irish hero and all round social media god Simon Zebo, yeah. who took the gloves off and went to town. You get the feeling that there was already a lot of dislike, at very least, towards Neil Francis. There was a bit of bad blood already there between some of those Irish players and. I, I say Francis, but I get the feeling the independent as a whole, where they have not been uh, particularly great in the past, especially towards the likes of project players, towards the likes of players who, who've come into the, from South Africa and played. And they've taken out campaigns against players 
based solely on the fact of them not being Irish enough. And when you consider that those are teammates of players like Zebo and like Bundyaki, and in Bundyaki's case, Bundyaki himself, it was great to see them go, well, actually, fuck you, because we're having our say now, because this is the this is the, the ammunition that we needed, that we've been saying all along. So... And the, the amount of content that was in some of the tweets that were put out by those ex-players, I have a feeling that a lot of those tweets were already saved in the drafts, ready for this day to come, so they can just press <laughs> send and it goes out. Because I like the idea that Zebo's draft is all just things ready to go, just, yeah. just ping them off. I mean, on the plus side, it, it's great to see that action has been taken. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Has been, um, I mean, there was a tweet the other day, someone saying, what, what's the best thing to do in this situation? If someone is being such a troll with a megaphone, just take it away. Yes. Um, educate people. Just say, look, this is not acceptable. Um, phrase like that aren't aren't acceptable. You can't you can't say that to people. Um, so yeah, I think this is the best outcome. And I mean, rolling it back to I think it's what we talked about with the ABs earlier. Some that maybe they could look at themselves. Yeah, yeah and I, I think that the problem with things like the indoor and with other media outlets at the moment is with all the pressure that comes on clicks and them chasing clicks all the time they're late acting on these things because when things stalk the fires a little bit without what they feel is crossing the line they're more than happy to keep giving that person a voice and I think that maybe Francis should have gone a while ago before this even happened because he's had so many red flags in the past. You say that and I, I don't disagree However, I just like to point out that bad news is good news. Bad news sells. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. and especially with social media, people are more likely to talk about the bad stuff and promote yeah. hatred and, and so on than yeah. they are positivity. So, all I'm going to say is I'm glad in this instance that a decision has been has been reached, which I agree with, um, and hopefully we can just move forward from there. Yeah. So that the silver climbed into silver lay into a very dark, shitty cloud. Um. I don't think I've got anything else in terms of news. So shall we move on to the one big game that happened this weekend? Yeah. Which game was that? We've been building up. I hit the point where the build-up to these warm-up games. I was like, I just just get to the tests now. I'm there. This is a short. This is a shortened tour. Imagine how I would have felt at the end if this was a long, full-scale. We're traveling all around South Africa and playing anyone who's got a kit kind of tour. I, I hit the point where I just needed the tests by this point. It's a marathon. It's definitely a marathon. <laughs> so, as you said, this is a shortened tour. It feels like a sprint, but yeah, I get the point. It didn't feel like a sprint to me. <laughs> I said, by the time we did Australia, I was like, let's just get the bloody test. Then. Australia, right? Australia, right? Uh, South Africa, sorry. That's how long it's been. They've gone all the way around. Um, so, with the big build-up, with everyone looking forward to it, did it did it live up to expectations? Yeah, I think so. I think uh, like I, I, I had a slightly different experience on, on, on Saturday, and I haven't actually been able to rewatch the game back yet. But I actually watched the game as a watch along um, with one of one of our obviously listeners at Rugby Geeks and it was it was enjoyable and I'm watching the game but you're trying to half commentate I suppose on it as well so um but I rewatched it back a little bit of it on Sunday and it was just brutal the first 40 minutes was just brutal but what I took from from it was the fact of those first 40 minutes the four penalties that South Africa kicked 
realistically a couple of them could have been avoided for the Lions. Um, additionally, there was there was two there was two penalties that the Lions missed. Um, there was only I think there was three line breaks in the whole of the first half. One was Khaleesi, which obviously result, resulted in uh, a t- turnover from Marrow on the line, and the other one was Robbie Henshaw dropping the ball just before half time. Um, so potentially you add you add into that seven points from if we were to score there. You add into the six points we've missed and not given away the penalties. The Lions potentially could have been like, what say, nineteen six maybe at the half time. But sixteen six at the half time. If you see, if they'd cut out the mistakes and South Africa hadn't taken their chances, then the scores would have been different. Which is kind of you would argue that with any game ever. No, no, no. I, I, I get that, <laughs> but like there's there's some games where you can go actually credit to them. They like South Africa have won that penalty, or they've done well and they've cut us to shreds. They've scored that try, but at no point realistically, I did, I think did South Africa look like the better team at all. I'm going to counter that completely and utterly. I thought up until half-time, South Africa looked a much better side. They looked more physical at the breakdown. They looked much more physical in midfield. I thought every time the Lions looked like they were going to create something, they were knocked back. I thought at half-time, and at the scrum, I thought I thought the Springboks looked stronger in the scrum until half-time. I thought up until that point, the Lions were in trouble. They didn't, I, look, they didn't look to have potentially caused us any trouble, I don't think. I think I think I, the Lions would have been comfortable in that first half. I'm going to jump in if you don't mind. As, yeah, as, as an England supporter, I was just getting massive deja vu from the World Cup final because at halftime World Cup final we were close, surprisingly, um, and then they just blew away, blew us away in the second half. Yeah. Um, and I do feel a lot of the points. I agree with a lot of the points. We know South Africa are going to be brutal. That's yeah. that's just how they play, and it's how much you front up and. Yeah, I think the, the penalties which they kicked were, were silly. Um, Tom Curry giving his mate Faf a little little nudge. Oh, come on, we've all seen a seven do that, but hey, it, such is life. Um, Robbie Henshaw on that bloody <laughs> ball in two hands, please, mate. Um, well, I think the, I, ball, I, I, the ball should have been in two hands. Yes. It just shouldn't have been his two hands because <laughs> if he'd given the pass to Ali Price, like a second before... Price had, had the run in. I thought, like, it looked to me. I know uh, is a, a, a quick prop anyway. Oxygen is a quick prop, but surely Ali Price would have had the legs on him to, to run that one in. So I agree it should have been in two hands, but it should have been in Ali Price's two hands. <laughs> I, I, I was worried at half time. Um, it didn't, we, we weren't coping well with the physicality. Um, however, that said, listening to the, the commentators, all, everything they were saying was when we did keep the ball, South Africa were, were conceding penalties, which is yeah. must have been picked up by the Lions staff at half time because that's what we did in the second half. But I mean, coming back to to Ryan's point, um, they were brutal. I mean, that first um, tackle on Daly, you just, you just winced. It's like, oh, that that set the tone for the first forty minutes. Yeah, I felt that one Saturday. I was like, I'm lining him up and smart. And there's one that sort of got passed over a little bit more where uh, Itoje carries up, and there's a double hit on him, and. Atoje is not easily easily driven back, but that had a similar. You go, bloody hell! Like he was held up and driven back in a two man tackle, and you just thought oh, they, they've they've come to to put down a marker. I don't think it helped that they haven't played rugby for a long time because I, they died a little bit in the second half. I don't know what what's your views on uh, Razi changing that front row at half time. I I think. He did it to get them into the game 
before Warren did his. I think he would have assumed the gaps would have maybe changed after 45, 50 to let them empty the tank and then bring the new front row on. So I, th- I think he brought them on to bed them into the game so they were fully in tune with their pack before Gatlin brought his 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 um, front row on. I was very surprised that he did all, all three at halftime. Um, I wasn't necessarily surprised that he didn't make some of them because I didn't think necessarily the scrum, although it was it was it was steady. I don't think either team really had dominance. I don't think in that first half, um, and in the loose, I don't think really South African front row caused much problems. They didn't, I think the carrying was more from the back row and the and the the second row as opposed to the front row. So whether he's thinking he wants the work rate off the bench, I don't know because obviously. Kitoff is good with the ball in hand, so is Marks. Malherba's fantastic scrummager. Um, so whether he's, he's, like I said, whether he's, he's preempted what he thinks Gats is going to do, I don't know. But um, yeah, it was a bit of a strange one to do it all, all at half time. I don't think Razi preempts anything. I think Razi has a clear game plan. This is what we're going to do. He, he announced the team the day before the, well, it turned out to be two days, scheduled to be two days for Lions last week. He did this at the World Cup final. I, I, I like it. Yeah. Front three go, 40 minutes, go, empty the tank. Second lot on, second half, go, empty the tank. Finding your way into a game as a sub is difficult. Um, Hamish Watson is, is a prime example. It it can be diff- it can be really tough trying to feel out a game. You go in too high, you go in too tough. I like it as a tactic. Um just I didn't did, work. Yeah, my my thing would have been like if I was like South Africa looked solid. They they were on top in the scrum. I know this was the bomb squad, as they were calling. They were the ones that were going to come on and pull the Lions scrum to pieces. But Sutherland was struggling, without a doubt, in that scrum up until they they made those changes. For me, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I know that at some point they had to make them. I mean, they're people far more intelligent in rugby terms than me. They're people with far more um, technology at their fingertips to look at GPS and how far a player's running and how hard he's pushing and what they're doing. And they've got God knows how many analysts on the side who's checking out every move and everything that the player does. So obviously there will have been no end of, of reasons for why he's made those changes. But for me, that front row looked pretty damn comfortable <laughs> up until that point. They were... I know sort of they were they were puffing and blowing going in at halftime and I said whether that comes down to the fact of it's the first properly competitive game that they've played since the World Cup final but it was going so well for them I thought I I, I think it may have been whether you look back on that and all his hands up and say it was a mistake I mean two things spring to mind is firstly Argentina All Blacks the lack of competitive play doesn't necessarily mean you're not competitive yeah um it obviously caught the all-backs cold in this in the example that I'm alluding to. Um, also, if I'm correct, I think the Springboks only had four lineouts all game. Um, and it's certainly a tactic that the Lions had was when they kicked, they kicked to keep the ball in play. So they didn't want to hand the, the Springboks an attacking or defensive lineout. Maybe there was some element of that in the in the change that they wanted to bring on runners or, or go for more lineouts and have more set-piece. I, that's something we've always seen from Gatlin, especially against the Springboks. He's always been big on keeping the ball in the park and backing his players' fitness because they will be at peak fitness. And he's, he's always been very good again, that out the teams regardless. 
and especially against South Africa. I mean, we saw in the, the World Cup semi-final that he felt the tactic was to keep doing that, to keep turning them around, keep moving that big pack around and tie them out and burn them out and, and see what they can do and just try and win penalties, force errors in their half. I think perhaps I, we didn't see it as much as I thought we would. I thought we'd, he'd be a bit more intense on that and continually put it down there. We didn't quite see that. But yeah, it's, it's one that, that's got me. Um, but just on that point, I think we didn't see that constantly kicking because I think he picked up himself that when we kept ball in hand, we were causing the problems. So wherever it was, if, if we went five, six, seven phases, they were trying to infringe. They were, they were, we were getting penalties, or there'd be a knock on, and there'd be a scramble. We get, we, we get something from that. So I think, I think part of the reason why we didn't kick as much as we probably thought we were going to is because he realised when we had ball in hand, we were causing them issues. I think actually Sam Warburton was the one who, uh, who called. That. I think Sam Warburton called that quite early on commentary and said about keeping ball in hand. I mean. He probably should have been out there coaching. Probably should have been on a team, but um, yeah, it was it was at half time. I was very much in in your camp, Andy. I thought like the Lions are in trouble here. South Africa are, are looking physical. They're looking strong, and they're going to build on this and they're going to keep going. Every time Dialende picked the ball up, he sort of looked like he was going to make ground. Very quiet from. The wings, especially, we've heard a lot about Cheslin and about Mapimpi. Quite quiet. Do you think they were kept quiet? Do you think it was a South African error to not bring them into the game more? Why do we think that they were so so quiet? For the I think part? I personally, I think it's because South Africa kicked too much. I don't think there was an, like when they were kicking, they were kicking long. They were they, occasionally they were kicking to compete, but those compete kicks were messy, and there was a knock on from either side, or um, it was taken and then recycled. I don't. I think. I think if South Africa had tried to keep the ball in hand a little bit, like we we tried, it might have brought the wingers into the game a bit more. Um, because although we didn't obviously have chances for for Duhan really or Anthony Watson, I think the chances we were, we were when we when we were having the ball and going phase after phase with the forwards, they didn't. There wasn't really large periods of the game where they tried that. They were just two or three phases kick it, which is their game plan, and it usually works for them. Obviously, thankfully for us, it didn't work at the weekend. But I think part of the reason why, as well, in addition to that, South Africa, they looked dangerous on three or four occasions in that game, which was when they scored a try and they had two tries disallowed. But they were from Lions' mistakes or from like a high ball, it was 50-50 and then the, the bounce of the ball. They didn't really create anything to cause us issues. Now, and I know that's that's been a, a, an aspect of the games in the warm-up games as well, where the Lions tries have, against them have happened when the Lions have made mistakes. But again, I I would argue the case of those mistakes that are from the pressure being put from putting players in the right position. If there was no mistakes in rugby, no one would ever score a try, no one would ever have a penalty because it's always a, a missed tackle, a drop ball. Thing. That's that's how rugby works. Otherwise, you just have eighty minutes of someone running while someone tackled him. Um, I, I thought personally that they looked dangerous. We saw, talked about those competitive kicks. They put a few competitive kicks in. I think they were unlucky a lot of the time. The one try we saw ruled out with Cheslin Colby knocks on, that the knock on comes from the fact that he's falling. He's damn unlucky because I'm not sure at that, the point he knocks it on, he's even playing at the ball. He's just trying to stop himself by putting his hand down. So I think he was he was unlucky. Oh, South Africa were unlucky at times. They certainly put pressure on you. You could argue that Colby could have had a penalty 
for the one that was given as going directly to touch. I think Duan definitely takes him in the in the A. Mm. So I I think you could argue that the Springboks were perhaps a little bit unlucky as well. I don't know how well you feel about that, Andy. I mean, I'm we'll come to the ref in a sec. Um, I do feel like they were kept quiet deliberately. Um, I might be wrong, but I, I do recollect maybe because of the the, the Springbok um, tactic of kicking that there was a certain amount of meters gained by um, Van der Merwe, by Watson, and, and by by Hoggy. Um, I don't know because I haven't looked at the game in enough detail to to figure out how active either of the Springbok wingers are off the ball and how much work they do to go hunting or if they stay where they are. Um, and saying this finally, I think I read a, a terrible statistic that I think with Daly and his opposite man passed the ball once in the first 40 minutes. If that means that they never got it is one thing, or they were under so much line uh, line speed from the opposition that they didn't get a chance to pass it is, is another. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think you alluded to Tamara Shonka, who obviously was the home TMO, which I hope will get changed for the next two. But I mean, he was always in a, in a terrible position. Yeah. Um, he agrees with the home team, then he's labelled favouritism. He doesn't agree with the home team, he's labelled unpatriotic. It's a, it's a no-win situation for him. Um, I think that he did well on the day. But there were lots of decisions that were 50-50. If you look at Twitter, I think um, Razzie's been tweeting <laughs> his own alter account, which is hilarious. Yako Yoan is obviously yeah, very much... Go who seems to have quite a lot of uh, footage available from in-camp, from um, camera angles that no one else seems to have. And, and the analytical opinion is, is pretty astute. Though yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> so I think it seems to be more of a wind-up uh, and, and quite funny. But yeah, I think there's so, there was so much going on. I mean, if you take, and let's go back to the first half, um, Mauro's turnover on, on the trial, on defensive turnover on the dry line, any number of people could have been pinged. Curry might have been coming in from the side. You've got the, uh, the South African locks basically diving and sealing. Yep. Was Mauro um, uh, carrying his own body weight? Ultimately, for me, Faf should have just cleared Mauro out. Yeah. The fact he tries to wrestle for the ball is just is 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 just ridiculous. And Etoji is also not the first player to that ruck. He's not the first player in there, so he's got no. a right to play it out. But for me. That's an absolutely as a, I say as a forward myself. Like a, that's good forward play. If you can come sure. in, steal a ball illegally, and not get pinged, you've done your job. Like that's ninety percent of rugby is cheating and getting away with it when you're a forward. So I, I think I'm completely. I thought Maratoje absolutely nailed on for man of the match for me. He was absolutely superb from from the first minute to the eighth minute. I, well, see, Courtney Laws had a fantastic second half. I thought, but. At half time, I put a tweet out and said, "Have any of the surprise selections done anything?" Because I, I know he, he tackled, but even the tackle numbers were. I, I think on the, like the the 65th minute, he was top tackler with 10 tackles, which is a really low top tackler count. <laughs> like when you think of like sort of Dan Lidget putting in 28 tackles and Dusatoire putting in 26 tackles in a game, and 10, 10 seems very low for a top tackler. However. South Africa didn't run the ball at us that often. Yeah, so, and that's it was because, because of, they're kicking so much, it's they you will have less. I, I've spoken out about Courtney Laws in the past quite regularly. The issues I've got with Courtney Laws are mostly off the pitch rather than on it. I don't even buy into this sort of uh, he's a bit of a bully 
because yeah, he's a second row. Of course, he's a bit of a fucking bully. That's what that's what I want my second rows to do. And you know, he always hit the he's hit the ten from behind. Well, then the ten shouldn't turn his back on an opposition second row. It's fucking stupid, right? But I thought he was he was superb in the second half. I thought he, he carried quite well. He had. Um, the one chance that, that dropped him with the ball was loose and he, he sort of found the gaps. He played very well in the second half. He tackled hard. He tackled a lot. He did everything you'd want. He sort of nailed that second row slash blindside kind of role that he plays. For me, there's still a little bit of imbalance in that back row. And I can't quite put my finger on why. I don't think Tom Curry had the best game that he's he's ever had. I don't know what what the answer is of players who are available. I think given first choice, you you probably got Tipperick or Van der Freer in there. I thought Jack Conan. I wasn't happy with Conan being selected only because I wanted Toby Falatau in there because I fucking love Toby. I thought Conan played very well. I thought he was solid. I thought he carried well. I thought he went through a lot of work. Something's not quite right in that back row for me. I don't know if everyone feels the same or if anyone feels anything different. Um, I mean, I think let's start with Courtney. What caught the eye, especially, and I agree, that he definitely grew into the match in the second half yeah. was that his 100%. run, where he kind of mazy run, people didn't tackle him, bring him down, he just kept on going. And I think certainly from there, if a player does something well, you kind of look... Look, look for them and look for them again and again. If Fled does something badly again, you sort of ping them. You look at how to, especially the ref, kind of go, oh, no, it's him again. It's him again, rightly or wrongly. Um, I believe Conan made the most meters made um, of the back row, but I agree, it, it's not quite gelling as much as you'd hope it to be. Yeah. I, we've seen from Gatland in the past that if a player makes a mistake, sometimes <clears throat> he will discard that player ruthlessly shall we say I think it especially of Alex Popham who yeah. gave away a penalty against England in the, the first year and then was never seen again in a whale shit and so I wonder Curry had a mediocre game so he didn't have a bad game by any means but certainly wasn't didn't stand out other than giving away a cheap penalty or two I wonder whether that will cost him for the second test it, it, for me, it'll be a case of Gats weighing up what was worse, him giving away that penalty or Mish giving away his. Because I think if he classes it as Curry, then I think Hamish starts and Curry may miss it completely. We may be somebody like Conan on the bench with Palatel starting or even Navidi on the bench because he can cover 6-7, I think. Um, but <clears throat> I have a feeling that the back row will only have one change for Saturday and that'll be Palatel coming in for Conan. I think Laws will stay there. I think Curry will stay there. And then uh, Hamish Watson will be on the bench. That's the question, isn't it? Do you do you keep the winning team or do you twist? I, I think you'll make some changes. I don't think it'll go unchanged. For me, Conan stays. I thought Conan had a good enough game to justify his selection. Falatau is a world-class operator. He's one of the <clears> best eights we've seen in the game in his prime. But he's not had the best of tours. He's not, again, not been bad, but he's not exactly shone against weaker teams either. And I think Jack Conan's done enough to go, yeah, I'm, why, why shouldn't I be playing that game? They say he's, he's carried a lot of meters, he's gone through a lot of work, he's made his tackles, he's done everything you'd want from a good eight. And he's a big guy. And against South Africa, that's always going to come in handy. I know, I know Smith's not the biggest eight in the world, but he's surrounded by 
big angry South Africans as well. So I, for me, I, I Conan would say I think the, the question for me would be on whether whether Curry plays our next test. As you said, the issue falls on Watson came on. Does um, fullback? No, Willie LaRue. Willie LaRue. Does Willie LaRue not put his hand down? That's a red card, without a doubt. If Willie LaRue doesn't get his hand down in time there, Amish Watson, it's not a yellow, that's a straight red because he's dropped on his head and shoulder. So live watching it for that watch long, I called it and said red card straight away, live. And the the, the other guy I was with was about 30 seconds behind me and he watched it and said he said the same live. Then when you watch the replay, even though the hand comes down. We both we've both gone. Oh, it's going to be a yellow because his hands came down and broke on his yeah. fall. And the fact it was only pe- penalty only. Now, I couldn't quite make out on the commentary, so I don't know whether the, the penalty only was given by the ref or from the TMO. I think it was from the TMO. Who was and Andy's already alluded. Yeah, there was a Mary lot Shunga. of thing in the build up to it being <laughs> yeah. being South African, and so yeah. it's going to be slightly one sided. I think a lot of the, or not a lot, but I think the big decisions kind of went the Lions' way. But we've seen it in the Pro 14 so often where you put a ref, a TMO, a touch judge in an awkward position whereby they can't win either way. Mm. Because if they go with the home team, their team, they're, they're the bad guys and they're biased and they, and then the natural thing is do you go a little bit more towards the other team or even subconsciously to kind of go the other way then people go well he's obviously he's given that because he doesn't want to look biased so there's, there's a no win there's yeah. absolutely nothing it's some, why could they not have thought of this before like they've flown out different refs for each test why could they not all be there one of those refs then said like why have they why they only said the specific number that they need? Surely someone had to go. Should we have I a mean, backup just in case? So we not think about this. I mean, team state traveling reserves who don't play unless someone yeah. calls out last second. You'd think that there is a redundancy in the refing team, but but obviously not. I mean, when I watched it, I thought it was a yellow at least. Yeah. Um, and coming back to some of Yonkers' decisions, the the forward pass that wasn't a forward pass, and then the kick that was not on side, I think surprised me. Because I thought he was onside for the kick, but it was a forward pass. 100%. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's got it right by default. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then again, I, I, I have no no qualm with the with Faf's try. Yeah. Yeah, same. I agree. Yeah. I I, I, I think the three, the decisions he, he had to make for the three tries, I think ultimately he got right for all three of them. But that one with the kick was the wrong decision for what he gave. But I think... I think the the Watson should have at least been the yellow, um, and there was there was one live, and when you watch a replay, it wasn't. Obviously, was it was in the first half, Esther Beth uh, to no second half, Esther Beth to Henshaw, but um, when you watch it back afterwards, it's actually like he hits his hits him underneath the armpit and then slips up. So yeah. there, was, there was not even a it wasn't even a pen, but live that looked as though he was a swinging arm around his head on his head. There was someone taken out in the air early on as well that was completely missed. And I can't remember who that was. But from possibly the first kickoff, maybe someone was taken in the air. I should have made a note of that. Um, but I think that that was very like South Africa took a took a lion out. I can't remember who it was. And I thought mm. that's that's damn it. But then I think it evened up because I thought, as I said, Duan took 
took Colby in the air, thought that was a penalty, and instead they went, oh, that's out in the full. Yeah. <laughs> so took that back, which was a bit bizarre. Well, I think which, Andrew, which, Andrew Watson, sorry, go on. I was just going to say, which uh, Yako Yohan is very not happy about, whoever Yako Yohan may be. Invite him to the podcast. Um, <laughs> oh, that's a great shout. He's only got like 10 followers. Uh, he, he, <laughs> he, he follows three people as well. He wants a platform. Um, I mean, talking about things that weren't picked up, I think Anthony Watson's first carry, I felt that he had a shoulder of the head, um, but that wasn't seen. Um, it, it's the Springboks. It's going to be a brutal game. Yeah. Um, and coming back to Chesney Colby, um, I do think he was taken out slightly in the air. Um, and it was interesting to see Mako basically walk over to him and literally pick him up and f- sort of toss him to one side to tell him, stop stop milking it. Yeah. Um, well, I don't agree with people handling other players on the floor for medical reasons. In a situation like that, <laughs> you're kind of going, oh, mate, come on, just get up. Brazzy <laughs> right. was, was very much uh, of a similar vein to say that players who are down should be left for medical reasons. And I think Mako... Was part of the um, the interview team today, or players that were that would be in the press conference, and he said, "Well, he seemed okay to me, so I helped him to his feet." So, <laughs> <laughs> but I, for me, that that's you know what the game's all about. You know, if those kind of things happen, he was clearly not seriously hurt. You, you're always going to expect a bit of spice, and especially sort of lay in South Africa, it's always going to be the case. I, I it was a great game. See, the intensity levels were superb. It, it was everything you'd expect in that terms. I know people were saying, oh, that first half wasn't great. I was like, yeah, it wasn't a great performance, but it was a great game, mm. I thought. Like they, just for those pure intensity levels, every ruck was hit at 100 miles an hour. The, the midfield battle was superb. Like, we Would you change about... daily? Well, that's one of my questions. I was going to mm. ask a few people, so we'll go to that one first. Does does daily stay? Does daily go? I was a big fan of, of starting with daily at 13. By the time we got to half time, I thought I'm not sure that that was the right call. I actually think that there's a couple of changes to be made. I think I think Daly coming out um, and potentially putting either Aki or Harris in there. Um, yeah. So Aki at 12 with, with Hensho at 13, or Harris at 13 with Hensho at 12. Right, so um, I'm going to nail you down then. Yeah. Which one are you picking, Aki or Harris? I'm going Harris. Peas in our Scottish listeners. <laughs> no, no, because I'm about to piss them off. Because <laughs> I would also I would also put uh, Liam Williams and Josh Adams on the wing. No, I don't think he'll go with both. I think Hogg will possibly stay, and I think Duan will stay. I think maybe we might lose Watson to one of them. If that's the case, I think you'll, I think he will put um, Williams on the right wing because I don't think Josh Adams has the same effect on the right as he does on the left. Personally, I'm not so sure. No, I don't think... so sure. we've seen him pop even when he started on the left. We've seen him pop up on the right quite a lot, and I, I've seen this mentioned a few times where they've said, "Oh, Josh Adams doesn't function as well." But then I, he scored some pretty important tries from that white wing, not least against England for contesting the eye ball from from Bigger's kick. Left wing, so, that was left wing. No, the year before was it when he stretched out? He's he's he's. More yes, than capable yeah. of playing, yeah, yeah. He's more than capable of playing on that right side. Now, whether he'll go for that or not, I thought, despite what you said, I thought South Africa looked dangerous when they tried those little cross field kicks where they tried to put people in behind. And I thought our shape changed a little bit. 
I thought we got drawn in a little bit and that pendulum didn't quite work as you'd expect it to. And so that's where I wonder whether Gatland will turn to the players that he knows and go, okay, look, Liam or Josh, is it, you know, Sandra, you're quite vocal and you know the system I want to play and you'll be my communicator to come in here and, and change things around. I, I think one of the two of them will start. I'm, I'm still flabbergasted that Josh Adams didn't play. Um, <laughs> I mean, I can't think of a more informed winger in the world at the moment. He's just going trace of fun, but obviously if his head is elsewhere and he was carrying that knock anyway. Um, so, Andy, are you saying daily stays or daily goes? I've been really impressed with him um, until I reminded myself actually his natural position is centre and that he, be, he gets picked out of position yeah. um, by our friend Eddie. Um, I think even if he gets dropped it's the bench because he can cover so many positions yeah. um, and as we saw from Saturday the bench made a massive impact especially with Bigger going off with HIA um, and Daly coming back on um, I agree I think Josh Adams has had a fantastic tour he's just tries green machine but we're not in camp we don't know what his, his state of mind is yeah. and, and where he is um, and it must be tough seeing your, your child born remotely and not being there. Um, and also, we don't know what niggle um, Vandermover brings to it. The fact he wants to stick it to the spring box by going, guys, you should have picked me. I should, be st- I should have stayed, but you haven't. Therefore, I'm lining up against you. I, I will say what I think would be worse for me. I've got two kids of my own. Um, what would be worse for me than missing the birth of my child would be to miss the birth of my child to then miss three tests as well. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I think I think I'd be trying desperately to think, well, I need to get my head straight because if I miss the birth of my child to come out and play the fucking stormers, <laughs> then I'm going to be devastated. I think we actually had a sort of conversation about this the other day, didn't we, Steph? And I had a chat with a few, few of our mates and... Um, we, we 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 came to the conclusion that if Josh Adams doesn't play in the second test, we think he comes on, um, because what, what, if you go into that second test and it's and you win the second test, I don't think Gats is going to make wholesale changes to give everyone a game for the third test just to let them play. I think he's going to go with another strong winning team, and if that's the case, and Josh Adams hasn't played test number two, I don't think he's going to play test three. So it'll be interesting to see when the team comes out. I think it's tomorrow. Um, because I think he said he's going to tell the. I think, I think I saw a conversation with, with Steve Tandy today where it's going to it's going to be picked tonight, told to the boys tomorrow. Obviously, Gat said last week that as soon as the boys know, it's going to come out to the press, and there's no leak like it was last week. Yeah, I was going to say well, it came out to the press straight after they announced it last week. Yeah. It just wasn't through them. Um, so I want to be interested to see whether he is picked. If if he is, um, hope great because I think he deserves it. But if he's not, be interested to see whether he stays. I, I reckon. First of all, I don't reckon he'll be. 3-0 I think that's well, as much as I'd like it to be a whitewash I think it's if we do win the next one there's going to be too much pride yeah. for the Springboks to, for the third one and traditionally teams take their foot off the gas um, I reckon there will be changes the quality in this squad is ridiculous um, as we've alluded to we're not quite sure of the, the right combination of the back row but I think the, 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 the set of players are so talented that I think they can probably adapt to any game plan that Gat wants to play, Gats wants to play, and I think that he will change because he doesn't want he wants to keep the Springboks guessing. As a gross generalisation, I'm fairly sure the Springboks will try and do exactly what they've done before, 
because that is just their DNA. That's just how they play. Um, whereas I do think Gats will, will, will twist so that it'll keep them on their feet. So the, um, the two players, or two other players that have been discussed quite a lot that we've not mentioned yet, uh, Luke and Dickey at Adoka. Are we, how do we feel he went and, and looked into the second test? Well, he scored the try to win the game, didn't he? I know he, I know he didn't necessarily win the game, but that's a big difference. But I thought <clears throat> first half is the line-up, line-up looked terrible for the first couple of throws. I think there was, obviously, we've had discussions before ourselves about line-ups and whether it's the caller or whether it's the thrower or whatever. But I think I thought it was terrible early, was... very early on. It got better. Um, I think the scrum early on wasn't great um, from him. In the loose, you know, you're going to get no... Because it's a te- I know it sounds really stupid because every test match is a game you need to win, but because it's a game you, you set Saturday, we win Saturday, it's, it's technically done dusted the tour, like it's all ruined 2 0. I wonder whether he, he'll go for experience and have the two hookers as, as Jamie George and, and Ken Owens. Not saying that Kevin, Kevin Ducky, sorry, Cowan Dickey is not experienced, but he's probably lesser of the three. Um, and I wonder whether that'll be a factor for Gats on the weekend where he goes Ken Owens. Pro- I would say personally myself. Um, Owens to start and Jamie George on the bench. Um, I think that's what my opinion would be for Gats to do at the weekend. Um, pro- I think I would look, look at this earlier. Maybe I've got four, maybe five changes to the 15 um, that I would go with. Um, we'll come to those in a bit. But yeah, Cowan Dickey will come out, I think, because he didn't really offer loads apart from score the, the try off the back of a more, which a lot of hookers would do in that position, whoever they are, to be, to be fair. I think it's a tough one. He, he, he certainly is, in the Premiership, the, the, the leading form hooker. Um, Jamie George obviously wasn't in the Premiership, didn't play the levels of the same intensity, let alone in Europe. Um, and Karen Dickey, that's what he does day in, day out for Exeter. Um, yeah, if a lineup goes wrong, who's at fault? Never quite sure if it's the, the caller or the thrower. Um, he didn't do too much wrong, I think, apart from that. But um, as you're saying, it depends on where Gats is and where he wants the team to be and what direction he wants for, for Saturday. Uh, I'm glad that you alluded to, right, that uh, it's not always the Ocker's fault because you know how vehemently and passionately I, I talk about. I, I, I think the biggest, most telling factor when the line-out was going wrong, that it wasn't the thrower's fault, was the line-out where he threw and no fucker jumped. Like the timing of that was completely fine. It was the same as everything else. Everything looked good and nobody jumped. And you go, okay, something's massively wrong here. And we've talked about this with hookers in the past, especially for Wales, where you go, right, that's that's not the hooker's fault. Like he can't hit a man if there's no man to hit. There was one that was slightly not quite straight, they would say. And we were quite lucky. We uh, Lions got the, the knock on from it and a, and a scrum. I thought he had a pretty good game. I think he missed the tackle when he got jumped over because he went so low, which is seems like the harshest missed tackle stat ever, where your tackle is so perfect that a South African managed to slightly jump over it because he's so low. To that. And we've seen him from him so many times. Like his tackle technique it is superb. It's, all, it's more like a back row player than a, than a front row player. He gets so low and, and uh, tackles so well. I, for me, he's in. I, I carry on with him. I, I'm a big fan of Luke Cowan-Dickey. I think he's had a fantastic tour. 
as Andy's already said, he, he's the in-form hooker. Like, you watch him in the Premiership, he is the in-form hooker. He's big enough, he's strong enough, he's doing well. I, I continue on I'm a massive fan of Ken Owens. I, I no fact behind that, you know. I thought he did very well coming off the bench, Ken Owens. I wouldn't change that. I think uh, an impact off the bench is vitally important, especially in the forwards. So... Yeah, I'd, I'd stick with things as they were. He's not, I've made four changes, as you talk about. He's not one of mine. I think Luke Covington, he's had a fantastic tour. And I, for picking Jamie George, uh, I think he's the forward answer to Owen Farrell at the moment. As in, he's not really done much at club level because he's playing for Saracens. He's not really been in form internationally. He's kind of gone on tour on reputation and not really done much while he's there. So... As someone who I know loves Farrell, who all I know how much of a big Owen Farrell fan you are, I for me, Jamie George is in a similar place at the moment. Okay, I'll take that. <laughs> and then the other one, um, uh, looking at nine, a few people have said that the Dali Price perhaps could have done a bit more. Personally, I'm a big Price fan. I thought he'd done quite well. I thought he was quite... People say he didn't wind up after clerk up enough. Um, but I think he sort of concentrated on his own game and there was enough people to wind up after clerk up anyway. He's not difficult to wind up. I don't think you need a lot of people to wind up after clerk. But uh, are, we, are we sticking with, with Price? Are we going with Murray? Are we going with the outside shot of Gareth Davis? What, what's, uh, well, who's your starting name? It's definitely not going to be Gareth Davis. Um <laughs> Gareth Davis, the Welsh, the Welsh scrum half, who went on tour, who's probably third best Welsh scrum half. Um, <laughs> I won't even argue with that. I, I like how he's coming to stick over the years, and I think some of it's been a bit harsh. But I mean, Thomas Williams and Kieran Hardy are playing very well for Wales at the minute. So uh, yeah. No, for, for me, I, when I did mine, I, I kept it the same. Um, I think I think Price did enough. Um, I think Murray potentially. Didn't have much to do when he came on because I think we were probably in control anyway. Um, I know the scores were closer than or close when he when he did come on, but I think I think in my opinion, from the moment he came on, I was already comfortable that we weren't going to lose. So I didn't see that he was there to see the game out. I just see that he's there as fresh legs. Um, I, it's one of those things as well. I think people always with a scrum half, a scrum half that comes off the bench is always looked upon more favourably than the scrum off who started. Unless the scrum off who starts there's something magnificent and has one hell of a game. If both of them come on and play slightly above average, the scrum off wins the game always comes off as a, oh he had a good game. Hmm. He had a good game. <laughs> like I I it seems to happen every time internationally whenever a team wins, it's always the scrum off that ends the game that comes off as a, a bit more of a hero. And I don't think it's always the case. For me, Ali Price stays. The, there were one or two instances that we um, highlighted in our analysis where he went blind when Faf stayed open um, and Faf kind of then made yardage or had space for a kick. But I think his delivery was was good enough that he, he, he definitely stays. Yeah. Um, coming back to lineouts, and this isn't in regards to LCD, um, firstly, two things. is On the nil side, I appreciate this sounds like a cliche, but there are fine margins. I mean, Peter Sestitoy's run when it looked like a completely terrible position to pick it up from was just ridiculous um, and incredible and that was I think what three missed tackles which is is will be highlighted 
And I can't believe we haven't mentioned Alan Jones playing a full 80 minutes. It was never in doubt, was it? <laughs> God, Lazarus. <laughs> fine, I, I think, fine, okay. I, I said last week on the pod, I think only COVID or death was going to stop him playing this test. I, I mean, I don't know what the man's made of. He's not made of skin, bone and muscle like everyone else. There's something, it's unbelievable to come back from that kind of injury at any age, never mind at his age, is is mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. So, yeah, to, to then go play the full 80, and as I put on Twitter, just to see him sat atop a pile of players, like... Like a throne. Yeah. yeah. Un- unbelievable. What uh, what a performance. An unreal guy. Absolutely unreal. Um, One player who didn't play the full 80, so we're still waiting on news of... Uh, of Dan Bigger. He's scheduled he's, to train on Thursday. Yeah, so we've got Bigger potentially fit. We've now also got Finn Russell potentially fit. I've said before, I think if they were both fit for the first test, Gatland may have gambled and gone for Finn Russell the way he used Anscombe with Wales. Second test, who do we think is going to be the starting ten if they're both fit? Um, so when, if all four, to be fair, sorry, if all four of it, because we've also got Owen Farrell and Marcus Smith that we can throw into the mix if you if you want to go off piste. So when I was looking earlier on what my twenty three would be for the for the test, if all fit, bigger starts, and wrestles on the bench. Yeah, I agree with that. I think you, you stick with Dan. He, he's currently hold of the shirt. He didn't do anything wrong, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and I think if Finn comes on with like 15, 20 minutes to go, he'll put the, sh- the shits up, the South Africans, um, because that is just his nature. He will just pull something out of the bag. If it goes wrong, he'll do it again and just keep going. I thought Bigger actually reacted quite well in that, that second half because he said sort of the Lions run down blind alleys a little bit in that first half and, and Daly got smashed and... Enshaw didn't really make, other than the one, but didn't really make a lot of ground. And so I thought that we were we were looking a bit one-dimensional and that one dimension wasn't paying off for us. I thought the second half, he sort of mixed it up. There was um, some unbelievable soft hands. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming Dan Bigger uses fairy liquid because of the softest hands I've ever seen at times. And quick hands, like going through the line the number of times that, and finding space on the outside which is where we made a little bit of ground then. So I thought he had a, a pretty decent game all in all. I got a bit frustrated with, with Farrell. And as you know, I've been fighting Farrell's corner that he would come good. I got a bit frustrated when he came off the bench. and he, the, the one that he kicked away again. The prime counter-attacking. It was when I was doing the live, I actually screamed, screamed, sort of, I was right, I was right. It was when... It was just after the the knock on when the balls come past. He's he backs away from picking up the ball because he knows he's going to get smashed from D, from was it DDA I think was going to smash him, and then that's when DDA scored the try and obviously then it was disallowed. But I don't care who you are, you go you get that ball. You if you're going to get smashed, you get smashed. You don't let it bounce along your 22 because if that try had been given, that's that's the test match gone. And like everyone's made this big thing about. He's done the clutch kick at the end and he's won the game for the Lions. But the game was won. Like that, to take away the three points, we still won by two. Um, yeah, the, the the clutch kick moment of the match um, has pissed me off a little bit. Because, yeah, it was a slightly 
more difficult than average kick. It wasn't the biggest moment of the match. It wasn't ice running through his veins, is how I think they put it. If I was Maru Atoja, I'd be going, remember those two fucking really important turnovers I made in our own half, one right on the line? Remember those? Like They were, they were pretty big moments in this match. So, yeah, I, I the moment of the match is that's bollocks. There's no other way of saying it. Go on, Andy. Sorry, you were going to say something. No, no worries. Uh, look, it's, it's an easy headline. It's the last kick of the match. It wins by a, sc- a score. And it's Owen Farrell, who love him, lo- loathe him. He's a very good player, and I'm not a fan. Um, <laughs> I mean, Ryan, Ryan's years have picked up when he said his, I'm not a fan. Uh, his immediate response to a counter-attack was to kick it away. Um, I think that's in his English DNA, unfortunately, or his England DNA. <laughs> Um, yeah. Which just drives me absolutely nuts. I, I, I think he can play heads up rugby. I think it's been coached out of him. Well, we saw him do exactly the same thing against Scotland in the Calcutta Cup this year, didn't we? Where England had an overlap, and we look at the counter, and he kicked aimlessly behind to all who was waiting to gobble it up. So it's not the first time we've seen it. It's the first time it's really frustrated me because as a Welshman, if he does it for England, it's quite funny. So <laughs> it's the first time I've been frustrated by Owen Farrell because that it, it was aimless and pointless. And it, it was fortunate that it didn't lead to anything else because obviously those those kind of loose kicks to a team that contains players like Willie LaRue, Mpimpi and Cheslin Colby have the potential to come back to bite you on the arse. And, and I think my... That that moment where he backs away from the ball, if they score a try there, that that is worse than Nogara giving away the penalty in our night. We're really going back now. We're really. Oh, you went there. <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. I, think, I genuinely do think it would be worse because you're, you're a professional rugby player. You get paid to get smashed. Take it. He's appeased the Scottish fans, pissed off all our Irish ones now. <laughs> I think my my biggest thing with Owen Farrell is he's not a he's not a centre. Yes, agreed. His, his best position is, is fly half, which he plays very well for Saris. He's shoehorned into 12 for England, and like, for various reasons, I'm not a fan of shoehorning players into the, the positions where they're not best at, such as Daly. Um, and touching upon correctors of LCD and Daly, I think it was a risk to take them. They, should, they deserve to go on talks of reputation. However, I think it really has shown that playing playing the championship is nowhere near the levels of intensity you need. Well, that, that's very true. I think the um, the one person though that shocked us in the same position of those, or shocked me certainly, was Mako, mm. who was looked off the pace, looked nowhere near good enough scrummaging in the whole build up, came off the bench and was absolutely fantastic, solid as a rock at scrum time. Did everything he needed to do. All be round for for not getting up in time. I thought he was he was superb on Saturday. It was the Marco that we seen a few years ago. What shocked me was against I think was it South Africa A. He tackled Colby twice. Yeah, Colby lined him up twice, thinking that he'd get around a big prop, and no, he took him down twice, which I thought was absolutely fantastic to watch. But I think he looked he's looked creaky at the set piece. Right up until Saturday, and it yeah, was the yeah. big, it was the biggest test for him on Saturday, and he came through with flying colours, and he, he he looked like it's funny. I was going to say like the pre-COVID Marco, like sort of the pre this this period that these adversaries are. Was he the first player to to isolate 
I think he was the first player to isolate, wasn't he? Because he he went on holiday or he went back to visit family. I think just so, yeah. prior to the Six Nations, flew back and he had symptoms. And they, and they, I seem to remember making jokes about it because he was like, uh, like everyone making jokes about it because it seemed so ridiculous at the time. Yeah. That's come back to bite us on the ass. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Luckily, we didn't have a podcast then. Um, but yeah, I thought he was pretty good off the bench. Um, changes for me. Just to, to wrap up the Lions chat, I, I Sutherland looked a little bit out of his depth. If Win Jones is fit, I think Win Jones comes comes straight in. I think Win Jones is um, in yeah. doubt. Yeah, from really. What, from what came out of the press conference, conference today, I don't think he's going to be there Saturday. But they're also not going to call up a replacement, so they're going to keep the options open for the third test. Oh, I wonder if we'll see Marco Starr because Sutherland did not cope well with that scrum on Saturday. Um, I don't know whether he will. For me, I'd I take Kerry out. The problem we've got is with him, but I, I, maybe I'm just clinging to my, he'll be the, the man of the test series. I think I put Navidi in at seven. I think he's, he's good enough to do the job over the ball that we need then. I think Kerry was a, he gave away stupid penalties. He didn't really have a, a great positive impact in the game. It wasn't his best game we've seen him play. So I'd say, um, I'd, I'd take Daly out as well. Um, I don't think he looked great. Enshaw didn't look great inside him. So whether that partnership works or not, so I'd bring I bring Bandiaki into there. And I think we will see Adams or Liam Williams come in. I think Duan's doing just enough because he's especially poor after contact. He's still making those yards. I don't know if he'll drop Hog. So. I, whether Anthony Watson goes. I mean, Anthony Watson beat four defenders in one run on Saturday and made a total of about five yards, I think, which was one of the bizarre ones because I was on the edge of my seat as he beat, sidestepped a player, sidestepped a player, and he was going and then didn't actually go anywhere. He was still inside the 22 where he started. And I was like, ah, oh, fuck. Um, so, yeah, whether we whether we see Watson as the one to, to miss out there, I think he might go, but... I don't think you'll make too many changes. I, I think any more than any more than, than that would be. Uh, I, I think he's quite comfortable with having taken the win and looked pretty solid. And all the players will will step up props. Go on, boy. I know you wanted to say your changes. Um, so for me, I'd go Kenna uh, was to start. Same starting props. Same second rows. Back row of Laws, Carry, Falatau, um, and then I'd go Price, Bigger, uh, probably Duan, Henshaw, Harris, Williams, Hogg. Um, then I'd rather your subs as well. You know, I'd... no, no. I was just going to say that, but that, that, but then I would have just as the backs. I'd have Finn and Josh Adams as the backs cover. Obviously, as a scrum half as well. But I'd have, that's what I'd have on the bench. See, I'm Maybe. with Andy. I think I think if you're doing that, you you put Elliot Daly on the bench. I think if you're dropping him, he, he covers so many areas that you've you've got to put him there. I reckon bigger stays if fit. Russell on the bench. Daly drops the bench for Harris. I reckon Hoggy stays. I reckon uh, Josh Adams for Matt Vandermeer and maybe Curry for someone else. So good show. And then finally, then. On the Lions chat, 
Paul, I know I'm surprised we've gone this long into it without you mentioning that you've got your prediction bang on because you said Lions by five. Yeah, I did. On three podcasts, I have you know as well. Good shout. Uh, what's our what's our predictions for this second test then? Uh I'm gonna say Lions by nine. Andy? Oh, uh, am I allowed to say by two scores? Yeah. By two scores. I, you, uh, which team are you going to... Lions. <laughs> no, I, thought, I, thought, I thought you were just going to say by two scores and then claim it whichever team it was. <laughs> um, I, I think the box are going to come out absolutely hyped for this. And either something's going to go ridiculously wrong, they're going to have a player sent off and lose the game. But I'm going to go Springboks by nine. I'm expecting a, a hell of a, a fight back from the Springboks on the back of this, and I think they're gonna they're gonna tighten up a little bit. I think they'll have Razzie on their case. I I think it uh, yeah Springboks by nine for me. And so to wrap it up, it's been a while. Um, we'll have our our winners and wankers of the week. So we'll start off with our wankers. Well, um, I think to be honest. It's just a stock answer. I'm going to give an answer. I reckon you two will both probably both agree. So, Leo Francis, simple. Um, and uh, Shannon Rizal. But also, I'd add into that the box because of the way that they've hand- they handled the whole situation as well. The All Blacks. The All Blacks. Sorry, the All Blacks, sorry. <laughs> we can't our Southern Hemisphere teams. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah. Andy? Yeah, I'll go with that. Neil Francis. Um, the individuals. And then as a, as a wider organisation, the ABs could, could do more. Uh, clean sweep on uh, Neil Francis and the All Blacks. Um, Shannon Frizzell, obviously, we're still waiting on actual facts, a court case, and so it could, but the handling of it has been absolutely horrific. And when you throw in the Seven Reese aspect as well, they've handled it very badly. Um, and then to end on a high note, our winners of the week. If I kick off, if I'm allowed to choose someone outside the rugby fraternity, Absolutely. I, I'm going to go with Tom Daly, winning the goal this morning, especially with my project um, and being openly open about his his sexuality and being an Olympic champion and saying it doesn't matter what your um, identity is, you can achieve anything. Absolutely agree. And at the time as well, where some of the, the countries who are competing today have not the best uh, records with regards to, to gay rights and human rights. I think if you're someone growing up in one of those countries and you're looking at the guy stood in the middle of those who's got a gold medal on his waist and as I said, an openly gay man, absolutely superb. I, I can't imagine how, how brilliant it must feel if you're that kid to go, actually, yeah, I, I could I could be like that. I can be a champion. Absolutely superb. So yeah, I'll 100% with you on that one. Well, your winners... Um, along, actually ties in perfectly with what you've just said about Tom Daly and also Olympics. Um, so Sharni Williams, the Australian Sevens co-captain, um, she's had some run-ins in the past with um, friend of the pod, Izzy Falau, not non, non-fizz friend of the pod. Um, and apparently in a conversation or an interview once was asked, or, or, on, asked for her thoughts on him. And she replied with, I don't know who you mean, I've never heard of the guy, um, which is fantastic. Um, she's actually been working with Gilbert to have a rainbow um, scrum cap for the Olympics. Um, and is obviously when the 
the women's seven starts in a couple of days' times, we'll be wearing that. So that's that's one of my winners of the week. And then the other one um, was a friend of the pod, Jess Hayden, put a request out for clubs in Swansea area to see if they had any spaces for um, anyone to come and watch the game at the weekend um, for a, a family from Leicester. A struggling nice rugby club um, came forward and obviously offered the space. So did Tata. Um, a struggling nice was more of the, the local for the person that needed to go there. And it just shows, obviously, how rugby community coming together, allowing people to come from outside of the local area to come and watch a game and just sit and have a beer and, and chew over the fat. So that was good to see from Astro Gunlice. They're great on social media anyway. Um, but yeah, it was great to see that at the weekend. Yeah, when we did our first pod that never made it away, um, Astro Gunlice were one of the winners. We did awards, didn't we? We did it as awards, and they were one of the award winners that, that week because... They were superb through lockdown and the support they give people, and they were raising money. They were doing all sorts. They were, they were doing like excellent. they were doing like live zooms as well with like people like Adam Jones and stuff. And I think Marla yeah, was on one. Joe and stuff. Yeah. They were absolutely excellent. So I struck gun lights. There's something special going on at that club at the minute. Yeah. Fair play to them. Uh, my winners for this week is uh, Maro for being superb from. First minute, eighth minute, minute, he's absolutely excellent. And there was a point in the game where the ref um, talked about offside, and obviously he's got a he's got a past history of being offside, Marrow, and he just gave him a, a thumb and a wink. I made sure, and you know, he's about to have a, a South African storming down his channel, so they be as cool as he was to give that thumb and a wink. And he's a brilliant guy. I've, I've talked about sort of my my feelings on Marrow in the past, where when he first came through at Saracens and he was a a clapper and a whooper, and I thought, ah, this guy's doing my head in. And then when you hear him talk off the field, what an amazing guy he is! And, and, and absolutely, he won't mind. I'm 35, I think, but am I still young enough to have heroes? Because uh, Maro's one of mine, and uh, Simon Zebo for his response to the Neil Francis thing. Simon Zebo is the second best Irish social media account after Jedwood. So Absolutely brilliant to see that he came out that is say through his opinion out there. Brilliant. I love Zebo. Absolutely great. So and it's great to have him back next year for the uh, playing for Munster and back in back home, back in the United United Rugby Championship. I can never get it right. I always want to call it ultimate rugby championship. Like as if it's cage fighting. It's got a better ring to it. Let's keep to it. Yeah, I, I think ultimate definitely sounds better than United. Definitely. Um and that's where we leave it for this week. I think that's just about everything covered. Uh, thank you, Wall, for, for coming on and setting up the Zoom calls. No problem. Th- thank you, Andy, for joining us. It's been absolutely brilliant having you on, and hopefully we'll get you back on again soon and we'll do a bit more in-depth on uh, on that project. And they say hopefully get a, a catch-up on where you are and things that we can do to to get it further along, hopefully, because I'm absolutely I'm a massive fan of it. Um and a big thank you to anyone and everyone who's listened to the podcast. Until next time. Thanks. Bye. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Sports Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.